This is the Common Sense Podcast presented by Tamar. I'm your host, Tamar Weinberg, founder and CEO of Tamar, and I will be talking to people of all walks of life who have suffered adversity and overcome to rise above the ashes and now make self-care and wellness an absolute priority. Hey, this is Tamar, and today I am with Anne Laffin, and she has an amazing story. Um, Her career trajectory is very different than what she had expectations for. She also does this amazing thing, and I think every person who hasn't heard her story, they'll probably, their mouths will drop because of this, I guess, this goodwill that she does for the world. I'm going to let her talk about this, but um, thank you, Anne, for coming. Thanks for having me. And I, I, don't know, I don't even know where to start because your story, it's everything you've done has just been kind of awe-inspiring, and I guess maybe we'll start with the... Uh, uh, the more predictable but not so predictable side of you where you've kind of made it like these amazing transitions in your life professionally um give me a little bit a story about like who you are and where you've come from and where you are today okay no pressure <laughs> i grew up in upstate new york in a really small jewish community but I always felt that that was where I was going to find my professional self. Not in a small upstate community, but rather working in the fields of education in the Jewish community. So I went to college, I went to University of Maryland, got a bachelor's at Maryland, it's a bachelor's of science in elementary education and as I was finishing the degree I knew I wasn't done learning I wasn't done studying I think I probably at the beginning of my college career had considered graduating and going right into teaching probably day school teaching but as I neared the end towards the end of junior year maybe senior year I knew I wasn't done I was going to go directly for a master's and so I moved to Los Angeles after graduation And I went for my master's at a small school, which was called University of Judaism and is now the American Jewish University. And I got what we colloquially refer to as a master's in Jewish education, but really it's master of arts in education. And it comes with a second degree called a bachelor's of literature in Hebrew letters. So as part of the whole... um, graduate degree program we had experience both in the classroom and with the administrative aspect of running a school now when i got to the program i was the only graduate student who already had a degree in education i had a bachelor's in education and i complained to the professors immediately and said i just want to place out of the administrative component because i'm not interested in administration at all And they heard what I was saying and countered that that was in fact part of the overall education. I certainly didn't have to go into administration, but I did have to intern as an administrator in a school. And so I did. And then if this were some sort of primetime drama or comedy, you would already be able to predict that of course I went directly into administration after I graduated with my master's, despite my kicking and screaming about having to intern as an administrator. So I was assistant principal of a school for a few years, and then that position was eliminated, and I moved to another school, and the supervisor they hired to supervise me after I moved 
was horrific. And so I quit within six weeks. And which I want to talk about for just a second because we we badmouth quitting and we have, you know, these taglines, you know, winners never quit. And I reject that because I was working with an abusive human. Right. And it wasn't a good scenario. Yeah. And in fact, my husband said to me, something's got to give. You're miserable. We're all miserable. And so I left. And that's a good thing. Right. And... A lot of people are afraid to kind of seize the day and say, you know, I just need to get out of this abusive relationship. People stick through it for years. So... Kudos to you for doing that. Why, thank you. I, I do want to think more about how we talk to our kids and kind of our kids in the global sense, you know, teenagers with whom we interact, people who think maybe summer camp is not for them. After they've given it a try, they placed into the wrong courses in school and they're trying it, but they don't belong there. Um, and sometimes we really do have to tough it out. That's the responsible thing. That's the adult thing. But sometimes we need to leave. And so in that scenario, I left. And I kind of cobbled together a lot of Hebrew school teaching jobs. And so I actually was considered a full-time Hebrew school teacher. And for anyone who doesn't know, it doesn't take up my whole day, but it takes up, you know, every afternoon, the entire afternoon, into the evening. I did that for a long time. Off the top of my head, I want to say eight years. And so during that entire time, over the course of a career, I had kids. I was already married. And I was exhausted because it's hard work doing lots of things at once. And when my son was about two years old, I received an email. It wasn't sent directly to me. It was sent to a local Yahoo group to which I subscribed. And it was sent by somebody who found out that there was a local adoption agency that needed volunteers. And they needed volunteers to board newborn babies for a short period of time. And that seemed like something I could do and also seemed sketchy. So I googled it. And when I googled interim boarding care, the name of the adoption agency that had been in this email popped up. So that's either even more sketchy or that just means it's legitimate. And um, I took it as carte blanche to look into. And so over the course of a few months, my family and I were vetted and became volunteers with an adoption agency that's on the Upper East Side in Manhattan. And since then, so we're now at eight years, um, we've taken newborn babies, almost all of them, into our home. They live with us for anywhere between days and months. Most of them are adopted after they're with us. And some of them return to their biological families. And we can talk more about that in a few minutes. But at the same time that we became an interim boarding care family, I started working out at a local boot camp because I had gotten a group on. And when I say same time, I mean June 24th, 
the baby came home in the morning and I went to work out in the afternoon. That was the same day. Over maybe even less than a couple of years, two or three years, I was such a dedicated regular at the boot camp. My trainer actually suggested that I train with him and one or two of the other trainers and become a trainer myself. And that kind of escalated when one of the trainers um, who had been working with us left. And so I started taking over some of the classes. And I've been working as a trainer, both as a group fitness instructor and in the past couple of years as a personal trainer. It's a handful of years now, but when you reached out to me, Tamar, and said, oh, I want to talk to you about you know, trajectory and what you do with your life and shifting things, that was actually the day that I decided I was going to open my own boot camp. And I couldn't figure out how you knew that since I hadn't publicized it yet. Oh, I know. I know everything. <laughs> so what happened, in case there's maybe one or two things that you don't know, is that the boot camp I was working for ended very abruptly, overnight. It was crushing and devastating, but I realized very quickly that I could just reopen and I could work with the clients with whom I had enjoyed a relationship over the past year, over the past several years, and we can grow from there. So that's what I'm doing now. So it's not the only thing I do with my time. As it turns out, there are a lot of different ways I spend my time, but what's probably foremost on my brain right now is boot camp and fitness and probably secondary because I think it's so interesting and fascinating and exciting is taking care of babies. Wow. I guess explain to me like in terms of I'm, you have three children so this isn't a, any uh, small feat at all. I mean you've had how many babies to date and with on top of what is the relationship with your children, the babies, you, sleepless nights, how, how are you, how do you get that done? What, has there been any specific trigger that's brought you to this point um, of where you, you kind of felt like you needed to do this? Like what drew you to this besides the email, which of course, it was a curiosity more than anything, but there should have been, I guess, I mean, this is, this is a tremendous undertaking. I mean, I, you know, raising babies, you know, babies sleep and eat and poop when they're little, but they're also up all night and you're up all night. Like, explain that whole story. Explain how, what goes through your head, what goes through your family's heads, how everybody works together in terms of making this a, you know, successful for the agency, the parents, the children, and you. We are up to, I believe, 34 babies. I often have to look it up when we're at this time of year because it's not uncommon for us to actually not have a baby from June to about now in November. It's been that way for us the past few years because of our family schedule. I go with my children to summer camp and we travel a little bit more frequently in the fall. So in the late fall, we often will get our first baby in a long time. My children were two, five, and seven, I think, when we took home our first baby, which is young. I was definitely the youngest mother in the program when I started. I am not entirely sure how I pulled it off except to say 
really for the most part, my children are easygoing. I did find myself for at least a year, probably, a parent of two children in diapers because I had my own child in diapers and a newborn whenever we had one. And it should be said, I don't have a baby all the time. Like I just said, haven't had a baby since June. And we're recording right now at the beginning of December. So and your phone's about to ring. You have it sitting on your <laughs> I do have it waiting. sitting in my lap. We are hoping this week when often when we travel home for Thanksgiving, the kids will say even on the airplane. So did they call you today? Well, the, and it has happened. They have sometimes called me while I'm in an airport on the way home from the adoption agency asking me to take a baby when I come home. We hope and we hope it'll be fun. And I'm the only one who doesn't sleep regularly when we have a baby, though it should also be said that my children now are 16, 14, and almost 11, and for sure the teenagers do a lot of work to the best of their ability, which is great. It's greater than most adults, uh, but to the best of their schedule also. They are honest about having to do homework and when they think they can hold a baby and study or when they think they can read and feed a baby and when they just need to be alone and do their homework. And I would like to say that I've worked very hard to make sure that we're all honest about our abilities in the home, but I think just by virtue of the fact that perhaps they've heard me say they only take care of a baby when they can. They change a diaper when they're available or when they are motivated to help. And I think that children's capacity to help and be helpful and be generous with their time, certainly it's something that I didn't anticipate. Caring for a baby seems much easier to my children than it even is to me. That's great. They can do things with, I can do things with one arm. I can set the table while holding a baby. I can set the table while feeding a baby. But that my eight-year-old daughter can get dressed while holding, you know, this is, these are stories that I remember from their growing up with babies. One of them was holding a baby and getting dressed while I was taking a nap, and I finally heard the you know rustling of the skirt, and I look up, and there's a little girl holding an even littler child getting dressed, and she was completely capable. I know the baby wasn't in any, any danger. Right. I guess I guess there's a benefit that you just remember that these are really tiny babies. They're not like. 15 pound babies they're pretty much newborn they are absolutely newborn on occasion we'll have a baby who has not just been at the hospital so perhaps they're above eight pounds we did once have a three-month-old and i was curious to see what my children's physical reaction would be to holding that not teeny baby if they would react as soon as they picked him up if they would complain after the first bottle and it took a while for one of them to say, oh, it's different because he's not really a newborn. Tell me a little bit about, I mean, I know you, you, you've talked about other things, like you've had some struggles with your own situation. Give me a little bit of context. I mean, does, do you think that that has a tie-in and maybe an association with what you're doing today? I will say that I wasn't looking actively for a way to volunteer, but... I think we're both part of a community where volunteerism and being a part of a community, an active part of a community, is a value. And it was a value that was difficult for me to, for me to act on. There's a lot, I mean, I feel like 
I'm 43 years old and I'm kind of just now becoming the adult that I thought I was going to be in that dinner's almost always ready when everybody's ready to eat and the home is relatively ready for Shabbat when it begins on Friday afternoon and it took me quite a long time to get there. And so when things like meal trains would go out for a new family or any number of other ways that we participate as community members, those things were all so hard for me. Really, really, really hard for me. Um, and I tried some of them and I gave up because I wasn't good at cooking and it wasn't easy for me to drop off a meal and I couldn't help with carpool because I don't like driving and it's hard enough for me to get my toddlers in the car. Things weren't working for me from that perspective. And then this showed up on the screen and I remember thinking, well, that, that I can do. That's that's amazing because, yeah, usually... So I can't say that I looked at the screen and thought, it's super easy for me to not sleep through the night. However, I have found since I started, I do a little bit better without sleep than some people do. I've had people absolutely say to me, I only have the number of children I have because I can't do without sleep. Right. Look, I go crazy if I go too long without sleep, but I go crazy a little bit later than other people do, I have found. Admittedly, I have a flexible work schedule, and as I alluded to before, my family is very, not only emotionally supportive, they pick up the slack often, which is not to say it's a burden on them. I think we know it's not a burden because they ask actively when we are taking a baby next. I think the question is, what keeps me motivated and and what makes me so passionate? And when people first asked the question, maybe a year or two into my volunteering with the adoption agency, I thought about the fact that I had lost two pregnancies. And I thought about the fact that one of those pregnancies, although I wanted the pregnancy, I didn't in fact want a baby with chromosomal abnormalities. And so I tried to put myself in a position of thinking about the biological parents who, you know, maybe even like I did professionally thought one thing would happen and then another thing happened. Thought they'd be married and have a kid and were no longer married. Thought they'd have a child with a wonderful human being and were the victim of abuse. And probably for a couple of years, I drew some sort of parallel or attributed my motivation to staying as a volunteer with the adoption agency to the fact that I could put myself in a perspective of the biological mothers. But then I had this three-month-old baby that I told you about, and I met the biological mother in the doctor's office, and she was distraught. She hadn't necessarily made the decision to place her baby for adoption, but she had to explore her options. And part of that exploring meant that I was going to take the baby home for a few days while she worked with a social worker to to figure out what was going to happen next. And she cried the entire time that we were in the doctor's office. And I myself was almost panic stricken because I felt like all of the quote unquote adults in the doctor's office weren't doing a good enough job to help this woman who just needed support. She didn't even need to be told what to do. She just needed to be held. And 
as I drove home from that appointment with her baby, I remember thinking, this is why I do it. Because both of the times I lost a pregnancy, I happened to have been alone. Physically, briefly, alone in a room. And that woman somehow, despite being surrounded by four other adults, was alone. And I knew that I didn't want that for anybody else. And that really resonated for me, the fact that I can be a support for other families, for the biological families who are considering what their next steps are, or who have already begun to make a decision but need support, and adoptive families who also need support in ways that we often don't talk about. Sometimes they need help understanding how to parent, um, and ha you know that kind of bottom line tachlis, as we say, needs that their child is going to have because I've already met their child and I can tell them something about the bottles, diapers, and pacifiers, but also a sensitivity and a tenderness about the fact that they don't yet have their child and in fact, it might not work out for them. And so that being able to be supportive is a motivation for me to continue volunteering and losing some sleep at night. Wow, yeah. You know, you've, you've acknowledged that, I mean, what you're capable of doing is something that most people cannot do. But yet you say that like the stuff that you, like, I mean, there's always some things it's definitely seems easier for some people. And on, on the contrary, like your, your thing, I mean, it's seriously like you should be wearing a cape. I mean, you got this amazing hair. Like I, I love the color. <laughs> Thank it's beautiful. Yes. Part of the hassle. Yeah, yeah, I could see. So, um, you just gotta gotta get a matching cape with it, because seriously, you just it's 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 invisible. It's totally there. I totally see it all the time. I left it hanging in my closet. Had I known, yeah, I, mean, I, I would have brought it with me. Yeah, totally should have. Um, I just want to ask you a, a logistic question. I mean, you mentioned that June twenty fourth was the day that you started. You got the baby and you went to boot camp. How does that work? given the fact that you have a baby? Like, do you leave the baby off to the side in the boot camp? Do you have somebody helping? Because, like, I mean, seriously, you're you're on and, like, you, you seriously have to be turned on all the time that you're at the baby's beck and call. So how does that work? I, I, I assume that other people are probably having that question, so I figured I'd ask it. The answer is yes. Okay. <laughs> now, the more specific answer is we always have to remember when we have conversations like these that the babies that I take care of, with the exception of... I don't know, two, are newborn babies. So if we go back to the archives and we remember a newborn baby who's 48 hours old, 72 hours old, cords and tags still attached, they're floppy, they don't have a personality, they sleep a lot, and I'm here right now to dispel any myth about crying. For the most part, newborn babies don't cry, they don't have to. So at this point, in our home, we really don't have a lot of crying babies because we learn their cues. There are five of us. There are, thank God, 10 hands. Babies well taken care of, well respected. You need, you need a nickname, nickname for your family, the Baby Whispers, because clearly <laughs> I don't know my kids' cues. I mean, you have, you have consecutive babies, like pretty much. I Sometimes. mean, for like eight years, it's been like 30-something babies. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have four children, 
and it like it might have taken me like eight months to figure out my kids cues for each kid so I that's that's pretty it's also an amazing feat and and I want to say that I'm not the only one who learns the cues everybody in the family I can tell stories of the condescending remarks of one of my family members who would say he's not hungry just put him to sleep look at the way he's balling up his fists you know everybody learns a little something about a baby so that particular day when I started boot camp I left the baby at home with my co-parent and all the other co-parents I live with Uh, so sometimes I can do that because there are there's another adult that I live with and on occasion that adult might need the help of the teenagers I live with. I mean, everybody, everybody, yeah, everybody pitches in for sure. However, because those babies are newborns, I mean, you think I teach in a, right now in a boot camp situation with really loud music that doesn't affect the babies because they're wrapped up and, you know, their ears are super safe, uh, but they sleep through the class. Right, if a newborn baby can sleep three hours a time during the day, <laughs> they don't always do that at night, then I can teach with a baby. And I've done that. So I brought the babies with me to work, depending on their age, depending on their temperament, depending on the germs and the season. But in general, I can bring a baby with me, stash a baby away from you know, peering and touching eyes and hands. It's a lot though. It's we have definitely be. had scenarios where I can't remember why I could make something up like there was a gas leak in our um, building and so the entire building was evacuated and one of the kids said, oh, it's a good thing we don't have a baby right now. So we don't have those moments a lot, but there are definitely times where we acknowledge the calm that we are living without a baby. And there's certainly chaos with a baby, but it's happy, positive chaos. Cool. That's amazing. Um, yeah. So tell me, I mean, you, you know, you're doing all of these amazing things, but I guess I want to know, giving, I assume giving of yourself is, you know, for you, it's a very fulfilling thing. But one of the, one of the tie-ins that, you know, I like to kind of understand is how do you take care where the whole wellness side of things how do you where do you put yourself in in the context of what you've been doing how do you focus on your own self-care some of the answer i think tamara is easy right as a boot camp instructor i work out when i teach often and i consider that part of self-care the opportunity to work out and maybe i go about that the wrong way maybe it's a necessity and it shouldn't be considered self-care but I think it is the flip side of it is when I have a baby and I'm not sleeping well sometimes I don't work out when I teach and I maybe do more self-correction of my clients and I might walk around the room and be more one-on-one because I know that I'm I'm um, undergoing a physical toll at that time and I might take it easy in times where I might otherwise exert myself I have paid my children to listen for a baby while I take a shower or a nap. I think that's self-care. I think that's also care for the people I'm around so I don't snap at them. I have to say there's a lot that I do that I consider self-care. I think the time that we spend, the time that I spend on social media is a form of self-care. 
when I'm careful to not expose myself to things that I'm not interested in or that backfire. But or that are too dramatic. There's a lot of that. A lot of that where where, where we come from. A lot of drama, but also tuning that out and recognizing that what I'm doing or what I'm about or what I do is more important than the drama and I might turn that off then that's a really important form of self-care that's something I want to be able to transmit to my children to be able to tune out the things that really aren't priorities cool anything else that I should know about that you would think that I should have asked well we did talk offline about you know the way that we make things work living in this geographical area oh that's very true that can be expensive and um costly in many different senses so we talked about the fact that i'm a group fitness instructor and a personal trainer and i may have said i've gone back to hebrew school teaching a little bit it's like a drop in the hebrew school teaching bucket and we know i don't think we talked about it here i've been a mary Kay consultant for years for 13 years i think and I've definitely benefited from the psychology behind the business and what we learn about inviting other people to join us in things that we really enjoy doing. The best analogy, one of the best analogies that I ever learned through Mary Kay is that of a stick of gum. My Mary Kay business, so many things that I do is a stick of gum. I really enjoy gum. I like you. So I'm going to offer you my stick of gum because I want to share it with you. And if you don't like gum, you don't like gum. It just doesn't say anything about me. So it's no sweat off my back. And then there's more gum for me. I'm fortunate enough to work with really fabulous, lovely people through my Mary Kay business specifically. But here we are in 2019 and there are so many opportunities to interact with people and so many kind of hidden opportunities largely on the internet I will say and you complimented my hair color and I said it was new and I just got it yesterday by being a hair model downtown in the city it's fire red it's really cool it's a pretty awesome red and I have pretty awesome hair to begin with so it was important that it be an awesome color even though I had to buy into that I was there for a reds class so I had to buy into the red and then later on today my husband and I are going to the movies and we're going to fulfill a customer service evaluation as part of my being a mystery shopping um, a mystery shopper for concessions at movie theaters and those are some of the things we do I really consider all of those self-care also and as the stylist coloring my hair said to me yesterday, why do you have any guilt just for taking time out of your day to come here? He said, you're not paying for it. <laughs> I said, that's a good point. I still feel like I'm missing out because yesterday was early dismissal because of the snow. Yep. And even though I had planned to just be out while my children were gone, it's funny. We say and plans and God laughs because all the children were home while I was getting my hair color. Oh, well, self-care. Yes. <laughs> I had to take them to a physical therapy session for me. So they're sitting in the front. They were, they were, they were causing ruckus. Let's just say that was, that was exciting. Good times. So, um, one final question, perhaps, um, if you could communicate with your, I don't know, postgraduate self, what would you tell her? I think I would tell postgraduate 
and to keep working. Make good decisions. And I think the notion that we have the capacity to make good decisions and the responsibility to make good decisions is a great umbrella thought and probably a good way to end. We shall make good decisions. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Anne. This is amazing. I mean, I, I, I can't even, I, I'm at a loss for words to talk about the amazing things that she's doing for the community for children in general. Um, I mean, I think I, I don't have a tremendous lineup for who's going to speak here, but I, I, that's not true. There's a wish list of people. And I have to say what you do is unparalleled to pretty much everybody. And I'm talking about like big people that like are, I would say in, in the celebrity status world are household names to some people. So um, again, thank you so much for taking the time, for sharing your story, for, for doing what you do to for future generations and and then some and yeah a pleasure i love to talk thanks for having me thank you all again for tuning in this is your host tamar weinberg of the common sense podcast till next time 